Welcome to Inviting Doom, a podcast about faith, bad theology, and stepping into ideas marked as dangerous for the soul. I'm Sarah, one of your hosts. And I'm Krista. We'd love you to join us as we unlearn old beliefs, navigate current issues, and explore the previously unexplored religious frameworks in our lives. everyone. Um, We are just going to do a quick recording today. Again, we're always dealing with um, schedules and babies and whatever. Uh, And so we've got um, an introductory topic that we wanted to talk about today um, because it had been on both of our minds and we both kind of stumbled across um, different things about trauma responses. And especially when we're dealing with family relationships and we're dealing with friendship relationships, you sometimes start to notice these wee patterns in yourself that you think, oh, like, why do I respond that way? And why do I uh, react this way? And I think Krista had, I think we had discussed this quite a while ago, Krista, there was something like you had a fight and then you were like, why am I overcompensating and why am I doing all this stuff? Why am I reacting this way? And what am I doing? And I had come across a article called Recognizing the CPTSD-Based Fawn Response. And I had never heard of the Fawn Response before. And I think I've shared it with so many people that I know. Um, And it just was like a light bulb going off in my head of like, oh, that it makes so much (laughs) sense, not only in my own family, but like in my own personal self. Um, so Krista and you had stumbled across stuff too, and just jump in with what you want to share about your own experience and your own light bulb moment. Yes. Well, I, I can't remember which conflict I was having that you and I were talking about, cause it was a couple months ago now, but you had sent me this article and it was just like, I almost felt like I was shaking as I was reading it because it just was like screaming to me, you know, like, wow, I, I had never heard of this. It's exactly what I do. It was just like reading my, my personality and my response so accurately. And I could see how unhealthy it was too at the same time. And I was looking into my, in my past too, as I was reading and realizing how much I did the fawn response in my, um, my marriage, which is now dissolved and we're divorced. Um, so it was really interesting to me. Now I've, um, obviously gone and shared this with everybody too that I can think of just because it's been really powerful for me to, um, make the connection. I, I would say that I think it's going to be kind of like a lifelong journey for me to take this reaction out of my life. I think if, if anything, I'm in the stage where I'm recognizing, I'm recognizing it, but I don't know how long it'll take for me to just cut it out. Probably most people are aware of the the sort of the fight flight, the typical yeah. one that we're always told yeah. about, the fight flight response. And that never really stuck with me. But the other ones are freeze and fawn. And it was actually mm-hmm. um, a naturopath had talked about fawning. Uh, she was just like, it's also really typical for women too. you know, in particular, yeah. women need to be quite sensitive of how they respond to others for fear of danger to their own physical selves or, or whatever. 
But I'll just read from this article, just so everyone that's listening is on the same page of what we're talking about. When we're talking about like cutting this fawning part <laughs> out of ourselves, or at least recognizing it in ourselves, right? As, yeah. as a response. Um, and it says, fawners are typically individuals who were raised in a dysfunctional or abusive family system and were trained by their primary caregivers to repress and deny their feelings, thoughts, and needs. Such children learn early on in life that their true self-expressions and their natural impulses are not acceptable to those they depend on for survival and that their self-worth must be extracted from those around them in a never-ending quest to feel okay, accepted, valued, and loved. If you're a fawner, also referred to at times as a people pleaser, you are likely to seek validation from others that you're acceptable and worthy of being liked or loved. And just to be clear, I did not grow up in an abusive family at all. Like I, there was so much love in my family and my parents were absolutely fantastic and amazing. But I think because our topic largely in this podcast is about the terrible ideas that we grew up with about God and the really poor theology taught in the circles that we grew up in, um, mm-hmm. God was definitely abusive in that sense. Like God like it or not, and people can debate me on this, but like it or not, there is always that threat of hell underneath your feet as a child that you grow up right away. You know that if you don't anticipate what God's doing and you don't know what he wants and you do the wrong thing, that as a child, when you aren't able to process those big, massive concepts around eternity and hell and torture forever and separation from your life source, which you're told is God, or they're comparing it to your father. So separation mm-hmm. for eternity from your father and your family, those kind of ideas form the very responses that you have to always trying to please, always trying to make sure you're okay, always trying to make sure you feel safe, always trying to anticipate what God might want, make sure you're not doing the wrong thing, because God ultimately was the final determinant in sending you into hell, which he created. Uh, It's his system. He set up punishment and the afterlife in that manner. So ultimately, as his system and him being the final judge, if you did not please him, if you did not obey him, if you did not love him as you should, we were all very much aware that hell was where we were going to go. So this is where, for me, that fawning response really, really just came into my life of always trying to make sure that I belonged and that, um, that I would do anything for other people and, and to the detriment of my own needs. And I think that line that they were talking about is like, you're basically taught to repress and deny your feelings, thoughts, and needs, and that you learn early on in life that natural impulses and self-expressions are incredibly dangerous. You, you don't want to express things if you want the wrong things or you desire the wrong things, or if you have thoughts about being angry or being vengeful or all these very normal, normal human thoughts that are no crime in and of themselves. You're just taught to highly monitor, control, deny those things, shove them down, repress them. Um in order to make sure that you don't end up in hell. Um, Krista, you take it away there with anything that you're also thinking. Yeah, well, um, I want to just kind of bring in another perspective too, because when I read this article, obviously I could see how my behavior completely mirrors the definitions and they, they just read my mail. But I also felt like 
it wasn't necessarily being afraid of hell that I think was kind of the root for me. I, I feel like I was more afraid of the aftermath from the church, uh, like my social network. So I'm just going to read the definition from um, another, another group. I have them on Instagram. I can't remember what their website is, but they talk about complex PTSD and fawning. And it, I think it might um, kind of show you how I, I perceived it in that way a bit. So it says, fawning is a trauma response to putting yourself last and attempting to take care of others in whatever way necessary, becoming whoever they need you to be, doing whatever they need you to do, saying whatever they need you to say, redirecting your attention energy in any way necessary in order to keep the peace and reduce the likelihood of being punished and predicting the ways their brain is going to work so that you can execute those operations before anything is even stated out loud. So like Sarah, I grew up in an idyllic home where there was lots of love, but where I found a lot of pressure and where I always felt like I was trying to appease people or anticipate where people would be angry or look down on me or where I would need to adjust my behavior was in response to what the church expected of me not necessarily because I was afraid of hell. I don't feel like my parents in, in my growing up really like pressed that a ton. Like I don't remember being super afraid of hell on, on like the day to day, even though obviously as you grow up, that is, that is always a thing if you're in the church, but I was so afraid that the people I knew, the people I was connected to would see something in me and have to confront me and that I would have to, you know, say sorry or, face up to a group of people for my misbehavior or not being perfect. And so I was always predicting, and I still do this, I still predict all the ways individuals, family members, friends, co-workers, whoever are going to perceive my behavior, my work, my words as offensive or wrong or um, angering. And then I'm always over communicating just to make sure that we're on the same page and that they feel loved and that everything is okay. And um, if anyone wants something, then they can have that because I don't really have an opinion and it's not worth having a conflict about. And in my marriage, that's kind of what it looked like where I didn't feel like I was always backing down, but I would always let him have his way because it wasn't worth fighting about. So it's been really interesting to me to see the difference and how powerful it is from like a theological standpoint to say like, okay, yes, I never wanted to go to hell. And that was always a driver for me to be perfect. But in the immediate realm of things, what I was most concerned, like on a day-to-day basis is that you, my friend, my colleague, whatever, would think ill of me and that I would somehow lose my reputation or the respect within the church and the church environment that social structure, I was way more terrified of in the like immediate day-to-day aspect. And now obviously it influenced how I behave with people across the board. And, and things when it's not even when I'm not even in conflict with people, I still behave this way. Even when I feel like everything is healthy, I still am anticipating that kind of response of like, what do they think? And do I need to adjust myself? Yeah, that's a, that's a huge one, Krista, too, because I would definitely agree with you there. Um, There wasn't a lot of like hell speak in my immediate household. And I think a lot of what we get is actually from those communal 
um, gatherings of church yeah. that you're in multiple times every week. You know, we talked about this, I think before it's like, you're in Mondays for Bible study. Wednesday is like small group meeting, you know, Friday is youth group, yeah. Saturday church practice for worship. Tuesday morning prayer. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And so you have this constant sort of awareness of others and awareness that that is your lifeblood, that that community yes is what is supporting you and keeping you alive. And obviously for, as children, we don't make that clear connection of, oh, I need to conform to my parents or I need to conform to my community because they keep me alive. You're not thinking that it's just like a gut response, right? But there is this sort of uh, intense communal pressure in gathering together as professed believers who are all supposed to be radically changed by God. Like that is the, the, yes. the line of Christianity is the reason people are Christians is because it's unlike any other belief system. People's lives are radically transformed and we're renewed and we're better essentially, even though everyone walks around saying, oh, I know I'm a sinner and I have all these failings. But the point, <laughs> the point is, is that God is supposed to kind of shine through all that and get rid of it. You know, we're jars of clay, you know, outwardly we're wasting day by day, uh, inwardly we're being renewed, this kind of thing of profound and divine perfection and renewal is supposed to be happening in our lives. So I think there's yeah. a real fear to kind of not necessarily admit you're struggling in one point of your life because that's probably okay. But if there were ever a hint that people were continually struggling and that it never got better and that their, their thoughts that were perceived as bad never went away and they were always struggling with, you know, whatever it was, then it's like, Oh, it, why is God not working? Like, why is this potion of God not working in people's lives? And so I think there's there's a real sense that either you totally wholeheartedly uh, throw yourself into the system and do whatever it takes to become that that vision of what a Christian is, is like this humble, renewed, profoundly changed and vibrant person which is, I think, where you and I fall into that category of the perfectionism of just like, yeah. I want to be changed. I want to be different. I want to be totally perfect. I don't want to hurt anyone with my actions. Yeah. I want to make sure my words are clear and and nobody is injured and there's no effects of my fallen self on other people. Like, essentially, I, I don't want to affect other people in a negative way ever. And mm -hmm. I don't want to hurt anyone ever you're not always necessarily you're right thinking about, oh, if I do this, I might go to hell. No, no, no. It's more of that. I'm in a community and this is not only expected of me, but I also do not want to hurt anyone. And I also do not want to make mistakes, but in a, in a weird way, in that total denial of what's actually human and what's actually going on in you and what reality is versus this ideal that I guaranteed most people don't live, <laughs> you know? Um, yes there's this sort of erasure of yourself. Like you just, you just numb the things that aren't changing or are difficult or you yeah. box them up. And yeah. in order to fit in, you just kind of ignore all of that stuff to make sure the community is um, good and that you fit in and that you're an example, like a good positive example for other people. A lot of it's just out of good people wanting to be good. Right. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think if we were more honest about the fact that 
there isn't radical transformation a lot of times like there's radical transformation when people do the work right like yeah. I, I sometimes almost think Christians are thinking that things will get better without actually having to do the work and and I know I always joke about this before about Betty it's like if you replace the word God with Betty it would just sound so ridiculous so you're like hey, you know, hey, John, how's your issue going with X? And then John's like, oh, I actually don't deal with that. Betty deals with it. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm, you know, and that's how Christians often approach problems and issues in their life are not even problems, just being alive and navigating reality. It's just like, yeah. oh, I'll just pray about it. Like God will just deal with it. It's like, well, actually, you, you actually really need counseling and you actually might need some meds and you might need some, you know, yeah. actually all you might need like a bit of a, like a better job where you're not working night shifts and dying and working with toxic chemicals or a million different things that life throws at us. Yeah. Um, it's just like, oh, Betty, Betty will take it. You know, it's like, mm, that's yeah. You, you're going to have to do that work yourself. And so I think if we were able to be honest about a lot of the work that we do in, in religious communities is because mm -hmm. people are showing up and doing the work. It's not because Betty's coming in and changing everything. You well, know, I agree with that. And I also think that there's, there is, um, I think some room for, you know, more minor difficulties that we could say, okay, I'm just going to give this to God. And let's say it's not something like addiction or, you know, deeply rooted in your life, but let's mm -hmm. say it's just something that's giving you anxiety. I think a lot of people can say, I'm going to give this to God. And they have, they have faith that, you know, God isn't like Betty. God is so much bigger than Betty that they actually can just like say, okay, God, I'm giving this to you. And then they don't think about it anymore. Yeah. Or like the more major issues, like, you know, trauma, <laughs> addiction, yeah. Yeah. things with your family, thing like that, then yes, obviously you need to do the work, but it's, I do think it's still a powerful thing for a lot of Christians to kind of submit those thoughts that are maybe holding them back to like this higher being and then be like, okay, I'm surrendering this to Christ. And I'm walking away. And I think that people who meditate do something similar where they're like, oh, instead of submitting it to God, they're just now observing their thoughts and realizing, oh, this is not a a useful thought I won't have it anymore <laughs> you know but um that's a really good point Krista like a lot of the stuff of our torment is rather than understanding that thoughts come and go as just as humans we kind of absorb them and obsess over them and a lot of like the helpfulness of religious beliefs is being able to go hey there's something bigger than myself and I'm gonna submit these things to a Big, essentially to something bigger so that I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's essentially a, a coping mechanism of yes. how to not worry and how to maybe exactly. have trust in yeah. life processes. Right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. This, this um, topic actually really reminds me. Um, I yesterday wrote and maybe yesterday or two days ago, I just quickly wrote and posted a new blog on doubt. Hmm. And um it ends up kind of aligning quite a bit with what we're talking about here in the same way that there's like church pressure and conformity and erasure of self. Because if you think about the church in general, we, we don't seem to allow each other to doubt and actually speak out what we're not believing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we all pretend, you know, it's all, a, it's kind of a pretending show and faking it till you make it. And 
you know, staying strong. And in the same way, this kind of comes up because I realized that I would hide my doubt because I couldn't state it out loud without anticipating, um, you know, friends in Christ coming alongside me and trying to correct me. Mm. And so much of my doubt is actually, I think, really important for my own personal journey to wrestle with and think about critically for myself and not just have people say, oh, well, that's not true because of this scripture or that scripture and just kind of uh, push you aside and, you know, try to align you with their interpretation of the scripture or your church's um, interpretation of the scripture. Um, and it kind of goes back to our conversation on just even having your own personal walk with God or personal relationship with God and how you can't do that. You don't have a personal relationship with God if you actually don't have your own beliefs about God. And if you haven't actually thought those through, you're just conforming. And so much of that comes back to what we're talking about here, because as women in the church and trying to be perfect, you have to conform yourself to the ways that uh, have been prescribed to you. Otherwise, you're kind of outside of the group or you're anticipating hell or some sort of um, doom in your life because you're outside of the will of God and you don't actually leave room for yourself to question or to wonder or to state your opinion out loud because that could be offensive or whatnot. And I think like you pointed out, that's really um, detrimental in relationships as well. Like you mentioned your your previous relationship and that kind of inability um, to to bear yourself in a way, in a real, honest, full account because you're trying to be a good wife and you're trying to be a good partner and you're trying to be above all a Christian wife and a Christian partner. And so there's all these, of course, patriarchal ideas as well. And so submission is part of that. And so you're submitting to the church, you're submitting to, to Christ, you're submitting to uh, yeah, your partner in all these ways in attempts to actually be this really amazing, great wife who anticipates the needs of their partner, who anticipates the needs of their children, who anticipates, you know, whatever service looks like, whatever that service to your community or your family or whatever looks like. And there's not a lot of space for bare bones reality because you always have mm-hmm. to have good answers or even say the person who the, the man who's the quote unquote head of the household, like they also have to have it all together, right? Like they have to be the spiritual leader and they have to keep it all uh, ship shape when it comes to theology and scripture. So they're leading their family properly and their kids turn out okay. And there's all this insane pressure to to be a model of something rather than just be alive and be be something that's genuine and real but that sort of goes back to a point that you had talked about um, before we started recording is just to be your genuine self um, and even like you were talking about in your community to be to have doubt and to be real and to show up with your desires and to show up with your uh, struggles, or maybe they're not even struggles, they're framed as struggles, but like whatever, whatever those are, you, you can only really do that if your community is safe and, mm-hmm. if, you, and if you feel safe. And that whole yeah. fawning response, it comes about because we don't feel safe. And so that's like a huge, that, yeah, that's a huge part of it is just the underlying thing of realizing that 
and especially for a lot of people and young people growing up, they know that if they come out as um, gay or to their parents or they, um, you know, do something different or maybe they go smoke some weed or they do whatever or go for drinking or they have a boyfriend or they sleep with their partner before marriage, that their home actually isn't safe for them, that they could mm-hmm. be out um, because they're living, quote unquote, outside of God's will, you know, Um, and I think the same exists, even when you have a really good, lovely church community, which I grew up with, everyone was lovely, supportive and nice, but you still know that you can't, there's an agreement there that you can't think certain things, or at least voice certain things, um, and that you can't behave in certain ways, there would be repercussions, you would be taken off the worship team, or you wouldn't be a youth leader, or you would be um, whatever. So there, there's, there isn't that space there to just be alive as a human and and actually question the framework itself of Mm -hmm. is this the correct interpretation of God that we're actually peddling here? Like, where did this idea come from, like in history, and this idea of eternal punishment or whatever yeah. it may be there there you just don't question it's sort of like the wizard of oz it's like don't look at the man behind the curtain you know what i mean the great yeah. powerful oz it's like oh don't go over there <laughs> oh. um i want to do some more recording on the subject because this is basically just an introduction to our topic but mm-hmm. i just wanted to bring it back to what you had said about what we were talking about before we even recorded And because I think it's a really important point where you and I were talking about, you know, fawning and trying to predict the ways that people may uh, behave or perceive you before anything's even happened before anything's been stated out loud. Um, And in a functional relationship in a healthy relationship, you don't actually have to anticipate the retribution. You're, you're not in danger. You are safe and you can actually be yourself and expose even weak sides of yourself or disagreements and all that kind of stuff. And, and you can work through that with your partner, your colleague, or your friend. And with the fawning, we are always anticipating, because as a trauma response, we're always anticipating something and putting ourselves last in the scenario in whatever way necessary. Um, and so I think that it's really important to to kind of circle back there as we probably close this up for this recording to show how broad this can be and how if you have a healthy relationship, you don't actually have to do this. So if you're finding yourself doing this to start questioning, am I just doing this because it's a pattern or is this relationship healthy? Yeah. And I think that that's been one of the major things for me too, to recognize is I'm just in a pattern of it in a lot of ways. And I actually have healthy people in my life and I can stretch myself and actually show up. I can show up to my partner and actually be angry sometimes and actually have conflict with him and actually have an opinion. Mm-hmm. Or I, I actually have tried this out a couple of times where I've been angry. And instead of taking five or six days to try to align myself and, um, um, go through my mind of, am I right to be angry? What's the perfect response to articulate in my anger? Cause I don't want to see in my anger. <laughs> you know, I actually just talked while I was angry and was like, I can't say this perfectly, but I'm just going to try it. And this is what I'm angry about. And he was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Cool. And like, it blew my mind. Like, cool. Like yeah. all this time I've been over analyzing this, over predicting things, 
for not just like a day, not just two days, but like weeks, sometimes months journaling about it, you know, just whatever <laughs> possible. And so, then it's like, and you try it out. And it's like, oh my gosh, cool. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're a functioning adult. Oh, that's that oh, we're a functioning partnership. And all this time, it's like I actually do have some healthy relationships here where I need to stretch myself to real to not fawn. Yeah. Um, and then obviously there are other relationships that may have followed me from the past that I need to relook at and yeah. see that the pattern isn't really good and it only works because I've been fawning the whole time. Um but yeah, more could be said about that in a lot in different episodes as well. Oh, I was just going to say the hilarious thing for me when like growing up was baking. So mm-hmm. anytime I had an ounce of an inkling that somebody was annoyed with me or I did something wrong or I did like I would literally just bake cookies. Like them a pie. Muffins. And yeah, I was like, like Brie on Desperate Housewives. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and literally just like drop off yeah baked goods to people as apologies like I just I I, I essentially had a bakery running <laughs> for most of my 20s <laughs> of just this yeah. weird thing of like don't not like me I didn't mean that I don't want to do that I don't and and it just shows yeah. that sort of that deep desperation being, yeah kicked out of your like deep fear of being kicked out of your community and I think in yeah. some ways and this was um just to wrap it up but in some ways, it's actually worse when you have a good community because you are petrified of losing those people. You love them. You yeah. love them. Yeah. And when there are people who ha- unfortunately have really horrible communities that they've grown up in that are very abusive and whatever, that obviously comes with a whole set of different things that's just awful. Um, mm-hmm. But part of the problem in in being able to even think about things and process things and have space for things is that when you have a really nice community, you're so scared that you're going to be wrong and that they're going to reject mm-hmm. you and that you're um, you're going to lose all of those connections. It doesn't yeah. make and it actually, when, when people are nice, that actually makes you absorb a lot of the really poor theology to even deeper levels, because you're totally open to those people. You're not, you're not just listening to them and, you know, taking what they say with a grain of salt. You're, you're deeply absorbing what the elders are saying, what the deacons yeah. are saying, what your pastor's saying, because you're fully submitted to them uh, mm. because you know, they're good people it doesn't mean their ideas are good, but you don't know that. And so it actually, it is very hard and it makes you, I think that fawning response is just kicks into overdrive. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Now picturing you, um, baking (laughs) baked goods with notes that say something like just had you on my heart, the Lord (laughs) placed you on my heart and I wanted to just say, I love you or whatever it was. (laughs) Oh, Sarah, you're a good cook. And I'm like, yeah, a lot of practice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just keeping things perfect just keeping things great um okay so we'll wrap up and then we'll we'll tackle this maybe a bit more in a couple other episodes I think there's a lot to yeah say. I think that'd be good I think it'd be good for us to kind of talk through how like some specific examples of how it's shown up in our relationships yeah. uh, so I think that would be really helpful there you think you got the back end of how we're forming our next podcast yeah <laughs> stay tuned <laughs> All right. Until next time, everyone. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely tackle this again.